All right, I'm going to tell you the joke. So 12 years ago, I came to Tomoka, and when I came, my very, thanks Josh, my very first uh, weekend I was here, I was in the pulpit, and the elders had never heard me preach. Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I, the elders had never heard me preach. And so, and Joe at that time had been here 17, almost 18 years and had been the primary communicator all that time. And so I showed up and this was the joke I told to start that I told to start my tenure at Tomoka out and sort of facing a crowd like this. In the right-hand corner, if you were ever on the in the property at Granada, in the back right corner, the elders were gathered watching me and watching the church respond to me. And I introduced myself by telling this joke. And I tell you that not one person laughed. I have the recording to prove it, okay? <laughs> I have the CD of that night and not one person laughed at the joke. And the funniest part of the whole thing was watching the elders' faces when they realized nobody was laughing, right? So there was a guy who was on his way to a county fair. He had a pig. He was determined to show his pig at the county fair, but he wasn't sure exactly where he was going to go. He wasn't sure where the fair was at. And on his way, he ran into this lady and he said, hey, I'm on my way to the county fair, but I don't know where I'm going. Could you help me? And she said, well, of course I can. She goes, I'm on my way there too. She said, we're going to go down here about a mile, then we're going to make a left. We're going to go about a mile and a half, then we're going to make another left and go a mile and we'll be right there. And the guy with the pig said, whoa, 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 whoa. He goes, wait a minute. He goes, we're going to go, we're going to go make a left. We're going to make a left and another left. And she said, we'll, we'll go together and it'll be just fine. Or he said, why don't we just go together and it'll be fine. And she said, well, I'm not sure I can go with you. Because you're a complete stranger, and if we walk through the woods together, I'm afraid you might try to kiss me. And he said, I understand that, but how could I kiss you? I have a pig under one arm, I have a chicken under the other arm, and I'm carrying a picnic basket on my head. And she said, well, I don't know how you could do it. She goes, but maybe you could just put that chicken down, put the basket over the chicken, and I could hold that little piggy for you, and then you might try to kiss me. Okay, I say it 12 years later and it sounds really stupid, okay? But I told it then and I thought it was hilarious, right? There are some things that just seem impossible until somebody gives you a solution. We're going to talk about Philemon. How many of you have read the book of Philemon? Right, 25 verses. And it's unlike most of the letters that Paul writes because this one is written to an individual. Unlike a lot of Paul's letters that are written to churches, even addressed to individuals, this is written to an individual. And it's written about a very particular story, right? So Philemon, Philemon is the believer that Paul addresses the letter to. And apparently Philemon was a man that Paul's journeys came across in Colossae where the gospel was preached. And this man came to faith in Jesus Christ. Eventually starting a church in his home, right? This is, this is what took place in Philemon's home. And Philemon was a wealthy man because he had slaves. And we're not talking about the kind of slavery that you and I think about when we think about the Civil War and that kind of slavery. This was a different kind of slavery. But it was still indentured bondservant, right? There was still an obligation 
under Roman law for the, the slave and the slave owner, right? And one of those laws was if a slave escapes his owner or master, he is subject to death under Roman law. Paul's in prison in Rome. Comes across the young man whose name is Onesimus. And Onesimus happens to be a runaway slave from Paul's friend Philemon. And apparently there's a good, there's a good indication from the letter that Onesimus didn't just flee, but he also took something. There's a good possibility that that took place. We don't know for sure. Paul simply says if he, if he, if he took something or if it cost something, he's going to tell him to put it on his account. But there's a good possibility that Onesimus fled and he also took something which may have precipitated his need to leave. Anyway, he ends up in Rome. Somehow he comes across Paul. And somehow Paul shares the gospel with this young man. And all of a sudden this runaway slave has now become a Christian. Paul decides to write a letter to his friend Philemon. And he was going to ask Onesimus, the runaway slave, to take the letter back to Philemon. And that's what this letter is about. Ultimately, this letter is about one thing. Something that you and I, you and I and everybody online at times has struggled with. And that is, what do you do when somebody hurts you? When somebody betrays you, when somebody takes advantage of you, what do you do with it? Because that's all this story is about. Here's a guy who was wronged, justified by the law. And now this letter is going to be written by Paul to address what he hopes is Philemon's response instead. So we're going to cover that tonight. And we're going to try to break it down into three parts in this letter. So I want to start just out by reading some verses about something called the gospel. I titled this, this sermon, Small Book But Big Lessons. At the end of the day, there's only one real lesson here, but it's broken down in my mind in, three, in a three-step process or three areas that we can look at. But let's read a couple verses here together. Um, again, you can always find the notes. Um, we're not going to read Philemon. We're going to go straight to Romans. You can always find the notes of the Uversion app and find the live events. Click on Tomoka and the notes are always there. All of the verses, even though I may not cover all of them when I preach, they're always going to all be listed um, on the app. That way you can read through them if you want. But in Romans chapter 1, in verses 16 and 17, Paul writes this. And we're going to key on the word gospel. Right? Gospel. In the Greek, the Greek word for gospel means good news. Everybody say good news. Right? When you talk to people about becoming a Christian, you're sharing what kind of news? Good news. Good news is told a certain way. Is that not right, church? Right? When you tell good news, you tell it in a good way. Remember that when you're quote unquote witnessing to people. If you're a jerk, you've negated the power of the good news. Somebody say amen. Right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. He goes on to say, for the gospel, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel puts us, puts us in a position to be right with God by faith. Somebody say amen. Right? What a blessed, what a blessed thing the gospel is. Right? 
He goes on now. Let's read, let's read Mark chapter 8. And here's what Jesus says about the gospel. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And Jesus said this. If anyone could, would come after me. Right? Anybody here want to pursue Jesus? Yes or no? Right? He says, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Order matters. You got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross and you got to follow me. There's the order, right? Listen, following Jesus without denying yourself isn't following Jesus, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever, read it, everybody read this part with me. Everybody watching online, everybody here, read this with me. But whoever loses his life for me and for the God will save it. Listen, part of the equation is we get to make, get to be made right by faith with God through the gospel. But part of pursuing the gospel is denying yourself and losing yourself for the sake of the gospel. Can somebody say amen? Check this out. 1 Corinthians 9, 11, and 12. Paul now writes this to a church in Corinth. We've sown spiritual seed among you, he said. Is it too much if we reap material harvest? He's having a discussion with this church that... That basically pastoring, right, ministering to these people in the work of the gospel, he should then in turn, he has every right then to be basically taken care of materially, right? To be paid, to be covered for food and housing and those kind of things. That's the discussion that's happening. He said, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Paul says, but... We did not use that right when we came to your town. He said, on the contrary, listen to this. Those of you that want to pursue Jesus and have accepted Jesus and the gospel. He says, on the contrary, we put up with anything. Everybody say the word anything. Paul says, we put up with anything rather than hinder the what? The good news of Jesus. So we got a, we got a gospel that saves us because it provides us a righteousness built on faith in Jesus. We've got a gospel that requires us to deny ourselves and lose our lives for the sake of the gospel. We've got a gospel that Paul says, I'm not going, he says this, I'm going to put up with anything so that the gospel won't be hindered. Do you get the picture of what the gospel requires of you? It isn't just about believing in the gospel. It's about sacrificing for the gospel. And who are you sacrificing in the gospel? You're sacrificing yourself. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Lose your life for my sake in the gospel. Here's one more. For Thessalonians 2, Paul writes this to the church at Thessalonica. We weren't looking for praise from men or nor were we looking for it from anyone else. He says, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. They could have come in, done their work, and asked the church to take care of them and care for them. He said, but listen to this. But we were gentle among you, like a mother who cares for her little children. We loved you so much, listen to this, that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our what? As well. Listen, it's not possible. It's not possible for you for me, for any of you watching online, to share the gospel without sharing yourself. You can't do it. You're part of the package. 
Listen, when your mouth opens and the gospel gets shared, you're sharing yourself as well. You become now a part of the equation of acceptance or rejection. Do you get that? That's a part of it. And here's the thing. If the gospel that has saved you by providing you righteousness through faith in Jesus isn't isn't accepted by us with the idea that, hey, I'm going to put up with anything so the gospel won't be hindered. I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to lose my life for the sake of the gospel. Because here's what I understand. Sharing the gospel is one thing, but it always comes with sharing yourself. Paul simply said, when we were Thessalonica, we were thrilled to death to get to share the gospel and ourselves. For some of us, the struggle isn't sharing the gospel. The struggle is, is that what we share about ourselves negates the gospel. Happens all the time. And you know where it happens most? It happens in church. We gather a bunch of believers together. Listen, look at us. Just take a minute and look across the room. Turn around, gawk at other people, right? We don't look alike. We don't act alike. We don't talk alike. We don't dress alike. We don't, we, we, we're not going to eat the same foods. We don't like the same things. You like stupid music. I like good music, right? Like we've got all kinds of differences, right? And here's the thing. We all gather together because we have one thing we say we have in common. We love Jesus. Amen. The problem is, is that we love Jesus doesn't trump all the other things that we like and stuff. And the minute we hear them, when we're gathered in this building and walk in the hallways, we hear people say stuff. We're like, that was stupid. Like, I don't, you said, what? You're what kind of person? And all of a sudden we love Jesus doesn't become the thing we share in common. Making sure that people know that we don't agree with them becomes the thing that we share in common. And guess what happens? The gospel gets hindered because all of a sudden losing your life for the sake of the gospel and putting up with anything for the sake of the gospel ain't your bag. I'll put up with certain things for the sake of gospel, but I won't put up with that. I won't put up with that. I was reading, I was reading today the devotion of a, of a pastor and a pastor was dealing with a young man that showed up at his service one time. And they were talking about sex, happened to be talking about sexuality. And not only were they talking about sexuality, they had, they divided in groups with men and women. And so while they were dividing up, this man, this young man came up to the pastor and informed him that he was transsexual. And he wanted to know from the pastor which group he wanted him to go to. And he, he, he shared with the young man that he'd like for him to go with the men. Well, he wasn't with the group of men very long till he just, he just couldn't take it anymore. And so eventually he went to the group with the women and he sat around in the back of the room behind them. Eventually that moment led to a conversation between the pastor and the young man at, at lunch one day. And, and the pastor was telling the story of sitting in this room or in this, in this restaurant with this young man who was, who was clearly a transsexual, living a transsexual life. Being a man by birth and wanting to be a woman by practice. He was talking to this young man and this man was sharing his story and crying. And eventually the pastor asked the young man, what can I do for you? And he said to the, to the pastor, you can call my mom and tell her to come. Because where the young man had moved, his parents would not come. They would not have anything to do with him because they thought by coming and loving on their son, who was living a transsexual life, they would be affirming his lifestyle. 
And all he wanted was to see his mom and dad. And so the conversation went on, but ultimately the pastor called the parents. And the parents came to see him. But the pastor tells of how uncomfortable it was of sitting in a restaurant with an openly transsexual person, right? Holding hands with him across the table to pray while others watched him. It was uncomfortable, right? And he ultimately shared this, that the gospel changes everything. That when it comes to living out the gospel, it changes everything about your approach. And it's amazing what you'll put up with to share the gospel with people. Because here's what the pastor concluded. The gospel in and of itself is the power of God to save. Amen? It needs a messenger though. And that was him. And what he decided was he didn't want to do anything to hinder the gospel in that man's life. That's what the book of Philemon is about, ultimately. That letter is about that. So let's talk about it. We're going to go through three, three areas here. Philemon's going to talk about turning law into love. He's going to talk about turning fault into forgiveness. And he's going to talk about turning a gap into good. So let's talk about law into love. Here's what Philemon says in verse 4 through 10. Paul says, I thank God as I remember you writing to Philemon, to his wife, and to, the, to, the, to probably the pastor of this home church. He says, I'm thanking my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. He says, I'm praying that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. He says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, he says, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. He goes on to say, therefore, after giving him this, this accolades and this praise, he says, therefore... Although in Christ, he says, I could be bold as an apostle and order, right? Give you a decree, a law to follow, to do, everybody read it with me, to do what you, right? Here's what he said. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of what? Love. He's going to turn law into love. He said, I could give you an order. As an apostle, I can give you the command that this is what you're supposed to do. That doesn't mean that, that, that Philemon will do it because a commandment still, still doesn't take away your free right. You get that, right? God gives you free will. A commandment doesn't take it away. You still got to make a choice. But Paul's approach to Philemon is, I can give you an order. I can get out chapter and verse and tell you this is exactly what you're supposed to do. He says, instead, I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he says, appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He's going to ask Philemon to accept Onesimus out of love <clears throat> and not law. Out of love and not law. Here's what scripture says. Matthew 22. <clears throat> Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. These were the religious Jewish leaders who, who followed the letter of the law, right? And took the laws and then multiplied the laws into all their human laws to where we had so many laws that you couldn't follow, right? One of them, a Pharisee, an expert in the law, right? The Old Testament law, texted him or texted. <laughs> Jesus, what do you think, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Tested him. 
tested him with this question. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest law, right, that there is? Which one is the greatest? Jesus replied, here's the greatest law, to love God with heart, soul, and with all your mind and strength. And that's the first and greatest, he says. And the second one, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the key. He says, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And yet the two commandments are to do what? Love. Man, there's so many things that you and I as Christians, we ought to do. I mean, the book's clear, right? There's not a, listen, there's not a lot that's hard to figure out about what a Christian should and ought to do. There's just not. I mean, listen, sexuality isn't a confusing thing according to the word of God. It's not complicated at all. Sexuality is pretty simple. That God created men and women... Right? To come together as one. And in that one, right, God provided the act of sexual relations. That is the only, only legal way in God's book to have sex. It's not complicated. You don't got to be a, a theological genius to break down sexuality in Scripture. If you're not married, you're not having sex. It's just that simple. You don't got to be a genius to figure that out. You ought to do that. That's the law of God. And yet how many Christian people come to church every weekend, every time we gather with their boyfriend or girlfriend that they're living with, that they're having sex with, and they're not following the law of God. Because guess what? The one thing that God's law always provides is you get a say in the matter. You get a choice. But here's what Paul says. Paul said, listen, Onesimus, I can tell you exactly what God's law requires, but I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. Why? Because the greatest commandment is to love God with all you got. And the second is to love who? Your neighbor. Philemon, your, your, your action of loving God also has to reflect on loving your neighbor as yourself. How about this verse in Galatians 5, 6? It says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Listen, any external thing that you're doing to try to make yourself right with God's a waste of time. Here's what he says. Everybody read this with me. Read the first three words with me. The, the only thing. He didn't say one of the things or one of the most important things. He says the only thing that matters is what? Faith, your faith and my faith expressing itself through not laws. Not grabbing a book and a chapter and a verse and throwing it up in somebody's face and going, right? That's what you're supposed to be doing. Because listen, following the law isn't getting any of us home. Practicing love of God and love of others, that's going to get you home. Because the Bible says if you love God who you don't see and you can't love people who you do see, you're simply a liar and the truth ain't in you. It's just not complicated. You see, Paul's appeal for ultimate acceptance and forgiveness of Philemon to Onesimus is based on this. I'm not going to give you a law to follow, an order, a command, even though I could because it's easy to find in here, Philemon. I'm going to appeal to love. 
And love is the greatest thing that we do. And it's the only thing that matters when it comes to our faith. And how about this? In 1 Corinthians 13, here's what Paul says about love. He said, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I don't have any love, guess what? I'm just a resounding gong, a, a, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, listen, listen, I, I, I've been preaching for 30 plus years. And there are people, because they don't know me, have heard me preaching and went, oh my God, that guy is annoying. Right? Well, here's the thing. If you don't know me and don't know how much I love you, I'm sure I sound that way to you. But when you add love to the equation, it changes the tone of everything you hear. He says, if you do all these great things and you don't have any love, ain't nobody hearing the love. All they're hearing is the noise. Right? He says, if I got the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge. Like, these are the people that give you the resume all the time. Right? If you can give me an impressive resume all the time, he says, and I've got... Did, did, I, did I miss a verse there? Bring that verse back up. I, if I had the gift of prophecy, fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I'm sorry. And if I have faith that can move a mountain, but I have not love, I am what? I'm just nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, maybe you're a sacrificial person. You know, you care about social justice and your heart breaks for people that are in need. If you give all the, the money to the poor, surrender your body to the flames, but don't have love, you haven't gained anything from it. Because here's what he says in verse 7 and 8. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And it always perseveres. He says love never what? Love doesn't fail. Laws fail. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it's going to pass away. And verse 13 says this. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. I, I don't want to hear people poo-pooing churches and preachers that talk about God's love. Because it's the greatest thing that we have. It's the greatest commandment that we're given. Right? Love never fails. When love is practiced, love never fails. And love never gives up. And love never gives up hope. And it never, it never gives up. It never gives up. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. But guess what laws do? They fail all the time. Laws constantly fail. And so here's what Philemon says, or what Paul says to Philemon. I could give you a law, a chapter and verse of what God expects you to do here, Philemon. But I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. Because guess what love does? Love considers others more important than themselves. Love loves your neighbor the way you love yourself. Love, he says, doesn't keep track of wrongs. But believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love does whatever it can to not hinder the gospel. You see, for some of you that are looking to try to figure out how to forgive somebody that's wronged you. You're trying to find a reason for it. You're looking for an objective reason why you should forgive. You're not going to find it. You already got a Bible that tells you exactly about it. And we're going to read those verses, some of those verses together. It's not debatable. Whether you do or don't is your choice. But what God thinks about it and what he says about it isn't debatable. And for some of you, this is the real, this is the real key. You got to turn the law part, the part of justice, right? I want justice. This person wronged me and they hurt me and I want justice. I want them to pay. Paul says to Philemon, the gospel changes everything because you deny yourself. You give up your life and you put up with anything. So the gospel isn't hindered. 
You've got to get rid of the law part and start letting the basis of love guide your decision-making about these things. And listen, it isn't just about forgiveness, church. It's about lots of things. It's a principle that works. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus tells, or Matthew 5, uh, 38, Jesus gives us a tad of an example. He said, if you heard it, it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's in the Old Testament law. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person, he says. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, what? That makes sense, right? If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, your outward garment, let them have your cloak, your inner garment as well. That makes perfect sense, right? And then if someone forces you, according to the law of the Romans, to, to go one mile because they could by law, he says you what? That makes perfect sense. No, it doesn't. Everything that Jesus asks us to do is unnatural. Why do we do it? Because the gospel changes everything. We've got to learn to turn law into love. If you're raising your kids, if you're, if you're practicing in your marriage or in your relationships with law and you're leading with rules and you're leading with, with those kind of things, it's not working. It's not working. It's never going to work. Love always wins. It always wins. And here's the thing. It may take longer than you want. Get over it. Get over it. Because God's the one in charge of this. He just needs a vessel that works on love and not law. Second thing. Fate, fault, and a fault into forgiveness. Check this out. Here's what Philemon says, or Paul says in Philemon 11. Formerly, Onesimus was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. In the Greek, that's a play on words because Onesimus' name in the Greek means useful. It was a common slave name that Romans gave. It probably wasn't uh, Onesimus' real name, but it was his slave name and it meant useful. Paul uses the words as a play on words. He was once useless to you, right? Even though his slave name is useful, he was still useless to you in regards to the gospel, but now he's useful. So Paul says, I'm sending him, I'm sending him, who's my very heart back to you. So here comes a runaway slave holding a letter to give to his slave owner who has every right under the law to kill him. It's a scary proposition, Right? And Paul's not even gonna, Paul's not even gonna make him do it. He's gonna give Philemon the choice because he wants to appeal to his love. He says, I would have liked to have kept Onesimus with me so that he could be, take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the gospel. Right? Paul needed someone to help minister to him. But I didn't want, he said, to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. And then in verse 17, he says this at the end of the letter. So if you consider me a partner, the Greek word there is from the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship, connection, communion, right? If you consider to me and be to consider me to be in fellowship with you, he says, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. Right? If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. <clears throat> I, Paul, writing this with my own hand, I'm going to pay it back. Not to mention, Philemon, you owe me your very self or your very soul indeed. Right? So, you got the picture. It's a slave who's run away from his master, 
more than likely has taken something or broken something, somehow put Philemon in a situation where Onesimus owes him. And Paul's saying, I want you to take this man back. I want you to turn his fault into forgiveness. Now, millions, millions of dollars have been made writing books on forgiveness. Millions of dollars. There are thousands upon thousands of books written by people on the topic of forgiveness. It's not complicated. Again, choices might be hard because they're connected to our story. But the Bible's pretty clear on forgiveness. Really, really clear. So here's what he says. <clears throat> Ephesians 4. We're just going to read four different passages on forgiveness. Because, listen, <clears throat> if we turn law into love, that requires turning faults into forgiveness. Because here's what Paul said. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. <clears throat> Get rid of your bitterness. Because, listen, if you think you can be unforgiving and not become bitter, you're crazy. It's going to happen. Unforgiveness always leads to bitterness, which leads to rage and to anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. It's not a coincidence that that verse is preceding this verse. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Read it with me. Each other. Just as in Christ, God what? That's pretty clear, right, church? You're to do what? Come on, say it. Forgive. And you're not just supposed to forgive. <clears throat> You're supposed to forgive the way God in Jesus forgave you. And how did God in Jesus forgive you? He removed your sin as far as the east is from the west and remembers them what? No more. It's not complicated. Is it hard? Yeah. It's hard. It's no less our responsibility to do it. And listen, is it natural? No, it's not natural. What's natural is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's natural. Knowing Jesus and believing in the gospel changes everything. There's so many, listen, listen, there are so many people who are absolutely stuck in mediocrity and miserableness because they won't forgive. It's a growing epidemic in our society. And it's a growing epidemic in our, in our churches. Listen, there's been a lot of hurt and a lot of wrong done to people. You've done some of it. You've been on the receiving end of some of it. And for some of you, loving Jesus is constantly, constantly butting up your inability to turn a fault into forgiveness. And it's not complicated. Look what Matthew 6 says. Jesus puts it, makes it even clearer. This was in the, the Lord's Prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Forgive, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our... <clears throat> Think about this for a second. Do you want God to forgive you the way you forgive others who've wronged you? Yes or no? Man, because here's the thing. How much of your debt has to be forgiven to get into heaven? All of it. So what if God just keeps a part of it back the way you keep a part of it back and don't honor him, but you hold on to a grudge and won't forgive? You want God to forgive you the same way? Because that's what he says. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Then, then he goes on to say this in 14 and 15. For if you forgive men, this is Jesus. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also. 
But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. I'm going to forgive that phone for going off, right? Listen, this isn't, listen, this isn't debatable. And here's the problem. We get into these things and we want to debate these things. Either God's word is the authority or it's not. It's just that simple. Either it's true or it's not. And if it's true, then you're either going to obey it or you're not. But the time for debating forgiveness is over. Listen to what, listen to what Matthew says. Actually, I'm not going to read that. Go to the Colossians passage because my alarm went off and I don't want to make everybody mad tonight. Okay? Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, right? This is who we are. We're chosen by God. We're holy and we're dearly loved. Here's what he tells us to do. Clothe ourselves with, everybody read it with me, compassion, kindness, and patience. He says, bear with each other and what? Whatever grievances you may have against one another. And here's the thing. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on what? Because we turn law into love. Put love because the love binds them all together in perfect unity. Listen. Practicing forgiveness isn't natural. Eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. That's natural. The gospel changes everything. I'm going to lose my life in my sake, but for, for in my sake for the gospel's sake. I'm going to put up with anything to not hinder the gospel. Right? I'm going to make sure I deny myself for the sake of the gospel. Listen, the gospel changes everything. And, and, and listen, Jesus telling you to forgive isn't minimizing your pain. That's not the point. It's, it's emphasizing God's love for you. All forgiveness, listen, all forgiveness is. And this is, listen, I'm not teaching this from a book. I'm teaching this from a book and from my life. You don't live as long as I've lived and been in ministry this long and been married this long without being forced to have to practice some sort of forgiveness. And here's the thing. Forgiveness is pretty simple. It's taking what God gave you and giving it to somebody else. That's what it is. Have you been, for, have you been forgiven by God in Jesus for everything? Yes or no? Here's what he says. You take that and you give that to anybody who causes you a grievance against anybody who's hurt you. And here's the thing. I'm going to forgive you the same way you forgive them. Listen, there are lots of Christian people who are absolutely stuck in their faith because this is the one bugaboo. And they keep reading, and they keep praying, and they keep hoping, and they keep struggling. And the reality is, listen, you know what God did for you in Christ Jesus. You simply got to turn around and do that for other people. And don't be giving me this, don't be giving me this conversation about, well, they're going to get away with it. What are you talking about? Get away with what? They're not getting away with anything because this isn't about them. This is about the gospel. This is why we talk. That's why I talk so much about mission. If this isn't, if this isn't about mission, if this is about making sure that all people repent and don't perish, I say don't forgive. 
Listen, you've got no reason to forgive some of those people. But if this is about making sure that all people repent and not perish, there is nothing that you and I can't forgive for the gospel's sake. Nothing. Because if oh, read Matthew 18. You want something to do tonight? If you're struggling, read Matthew 18. And here's what it says. It's really simple. If you don't forgive, you become the person in prison. You become the person who's in bondage. And if you know anybody that's not forgiving, you know they live their life in complete bondage every day. They live in an emotional bondage, a mental bondage. They live in hell. Because that's where unforgiven people go. And so right here on earth, they live in their own form of hell. Because when your debts aren't forgiven by God, you've got no other place to go. Because you can't go to heaven. So you live in hell. Does that make sense to you? Listen, we've got to start learning that love trumps law. And that faults can be turned into forgiveness. Because, the last thing is this, gaps get turned into good. Look what Paul tells Philemon. He says this. Perhaps the reason, Philemon, that Onesimus was separated from you, maybe the reason why he ran away after he stole something or broke something is this. He was gone for a little while was that you, Philemon, might have him back for good. But he doesn't come back as a slave, but as better than a slave. He's now a brother in Christ. He's now accepted Jesus. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Because here's the thing. You don't know what God's up to. Listen, when law can't be turned into love and faults can't be turned into forgiveness, you're always going to miss what God does in the gap. You're always going to miss it. I mean, listen, if you've read Genesis, and if you have it, you should read it. It's one of the, it's one of the coolest books in the Bible. It tells some amazing stories. And in one of the stories, he talks about a man named Joseph. He was the youngest of 12 sons, right? Brothers hated him. He was dad's favorite. So one day, they just threw him in a pit. And while they were deciding what to do with him, they sold him. A caravan of gypsies came along, and they went, ah, we don't want to kill him. That'd be hard to cover up. That'd probably break dad's heart. Let's just sell him. So they did. Pretended he died, but they sold him. And you follow Joseph's story. Betrayed after betrayed after betrayed after betrayed. Many, 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 many years later. He's now second in command in the most powerful country in the world, Egypt. And everybody's starving to death. Famine has reaped havoc across the globe and now people including joseph's family are coming to egypt for help and guess who they got to meet they got to meet the man who grew up who now has all the power over them and when they had the power they sold him to a bunch of gypsies and lied to dad that he died so here's what happens in genesis chapter 50 bring that last verse back up joseph said to these brothers these men don't be afraid. Am I? Listen to this. This is the question that you and I have to ask. It's the question that Paul ultimately asked Philemon when it comes to forgiveness. Am I in the place of God? Because the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You're either going to live your life practicing God 
and being God to these people you won't forgive and won't restore or you're going to not do that. And that was the thing that Joseph said to his brothers. Am I God? Look what he said. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. These brothers intended to kill him. They didn't care. He said, you intended to harm me. Listen to this. But God, what? To accomplish what is now being done. What was that? The saving of many lives. See, here's the thing. You don't know what God's going to do with what you're going through. You don't have any idea. Romans chapter 8 says that God does God does a work that we can't process. And that is this, that God works all things together for good. Not your good, not my good, but for the good of the gospel. Because God's desire is pretty simple. I want all men to repent. And I want no men to perish. And you know what he's doing? He's always working all things together for that good. So here's the thing. If law can't be turned into love, and faults then turned into forgiveness, you're going to miss all the good that God does in the gap. Because some of the greatest things that God's ever done has been in the gap of those kind of heartaches. Read Elizabeth Elliot's story. There are stories after stories after stories of what God does in the moments that are the hardest for you. Because God's always at work in the gap. Philemon, maybe, just maybe, Onesimus, Ran away for a while and did what he did so that you could reap the good when he comes back. And that is, he's now a brother in Christ. Listen, I don't pretend that being a human isn't the hardest thing in the world to do while you're trying to be a Christian. It just is. We're, we're a mess, right? We base so much of our fact on feeling and we just struggle mightily with it. And some of you have suffered some pretty horrific hurt that... A large part of us wouldn't even understand. And some of you have suffered smaller hurts that seem like the worst thing in the world to you. But here's the thing. Forgiveness and restoration isn't complicated. It's not complicated. It's simply taking what God gives you and giving it to a person that was just like you. It's just giving it away. And at the end of the day, what Joseph said is the question that I hope you all ask yourself tonight, those of you that are struggling with it, those of you that might be online struggling with it, and that's this. Am I in the place of God? Because forgiveness and unforgiveness, that's his purview and not ours. It's a question that you and I have to ask. Let's pray. Father, we, listen, I'm grateful that you forgive I know that tomorrow morning, when I awake, that your mercies are brand new. I know that tomorrow morning when I wake, my sin will be removed from me as far as the east is from the west, and you will remember them no more. I know that's true for all of us that accepted Jesus Christ. And it's not just tomorrow, it's the next day and the day after and the day after and the day after. And it has been that way ever since we've accepted you. And it will be that way until you return for us. Being a Christian is about letting that change everything. And one of the most important ways, God, that I know that you use us is to give that forgiveness and that grace to other people. From everything that we read, Philemon did just what Paul asked him to do. 
He loved Onesimus, turned his fault into forgiveness, and celebrated what you do in the gap. I pray for every person in this space and every person who's watching online that is absolutely living in the hell of unforgiveness right now. And my prayers for all of those people that are holding on to it, that God, you would do a mighty work and move them from that place and grant those on the other end, the Onesimuses on the other end, grant them the grace that comes from being on the end of forgiveness. God, help us to realize the gospel changes everything. I pray in his name. Amen. God bless you, church.